The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Let's pray. God, we uh, come before you with our open hearts and open minds today, Lord. We thank you that you allow this time to happen, Lord. And I pray that you will be with Randall as he speaks to us. I pray that you will use him. Um, to speak to us, Lord, and to see your promise, um, and to see more and to learn more of who you are uh, to us personally, individually, and as collective group, Lord. I thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, A. All right, good morning. All right, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 26. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 11. I just want to welcome you this morning. If this is your first time, thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part of this. Um, we have been going throughout this year in the book of Genesis. We've been talking about from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, how God created all things. Uh, we looked at Adam and Eve. We looked at Noah. We looked at the life of Abraham. And last week, uh, Trevor talked about how this was the death of Abraham, the end of that era. And now we're looking at the life of Isaac. And so we are starting in, in the gospel of Genesis in this series talking about the life of Isaac. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that the Bible um, isn't just a bunch of random stories, but really it all points to one big story. And what we said is it's the gospel, the message of Christ, how, how the, God had created all things, but man had sinned and, and, and all of creation had been fallen, yet God was going to save and that all of this would point us back to Jesus, uh, now, recently, I went to go see a, a movie, Avengers Endgame, and uh, some of you are just so excited because you're like, yes, Endgame, it was amazing, you know, but for me, as I, I watched it, I didn't see all 21 movies, 
So I kind of came in at the end game, right? Like I was the end, you know, it's like, look what happens. I watched the one before that. I watched Infinity War, so it's cool. But, um, you know, for me, watching it, and then for somebody next to me watching it, it might have been a totally different experience because I thought it was a good movie. But somebody who watched all 21, who knew the whole story, who knew the whole Marvel universe, they were probably getting chills, right? Like, oh my goodness, like all of these things coming together, the connection, all of this is happening right now. And, and you know, for, for the Bible, when you understand that this story, that all of this is about Jesus, it's going to be better than Endgame. It will be better than the whole Marvel universe and all the things that are coming together for you. Because it, it, it is, it truly is about Jesus. And so that's been the whole point of why we've been going through Genesis is to point again and again and again to Jesus. So my hope for you is that today you see Christ again through this story. And so here's the message. As we look at Genesis 26, it's this, the greater voice, the greater voice. Uh, let me ask you this morning, what, what voice guides your life? What voice guides your life? In November 2018, Judith uh, Shulevitz wrote an article entitled, Alexa, Should We Trust You? She says, the voice revolution has only just begun. Today, Alexa is a humble servant. Very soon, she could be more a teacher, a therapist, a confidant, an informant. And here's what she confessed. The writer confessed. She says, more than once, I found myself telling my Google Assistant about the sense of emptiness I sometimes feel. I'm lonely, I say, which usually wouldn't confess to anyone but my therapist, not even my husband, who might take it the wrong way. The assistant pulls out of the, his memory uh, bank one of the many responses to this statement that have been programmed into him. I wish I had arms so I could give you a hug, he said to me the, the other day somewhat comfortingly, but for now, maybe a joke or some music might help. Now, we might think to ourselves, that's a little strange, right? But what this points to is this idea is that we, we need a voice, a guiding voice, a help in our life. See, it can be scary and confusing sometimes as we go throughout life. And what we've seen throughout the book of Genesis is that God's voice is that ever-present voice. is that, that voice that's the guiding voice even in those valleys, even in those dark moments. See, it's his voice that fills the gaps in the lives of those that we've looked at. And so again, what voice guides your life? Pastor Charles Spurgeon, once talking about our need for God's voice, pointed out why many times we don't hear it. Here's what he said. He says, there are times when solitude is better than society and silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? So he says, because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water overflows, or water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. From such folly, deliver us, O God. Right, like this, this is 
where we're at. See, we are surrounded in our culture with so many voices pulling us in different directions. But are we willing to lean into the voice of God? Do we, do we des- desire to hear him speak to us? Will we listen to what he says? And so this is very important in today's text in Genesis 26, 1 through 11, because here's what's happening. Isaac's father, Abraham, has just died again in Genesis 25, and, and the patriarch of their faith is no longer there to help be a guiding voice for his son. And now what we see is there's a generation, a new generation, that is now trusting in God's promise. And what we see, what we see in the life of Isaac is that it is eerily similar to the life of his father Abraham. And we might ask the question, well, well why is that? Well, commentator Ian DeGid says this. He says, the same themes are being deliberately reiterated in the experience of Isaac to emphasize the central message of the life of Abraham. That God can be trusted to deliver what he has promised. And to show how those promises continue to be operative in the life of the next generation. See, sometimes what happens is when they're, they're the previous generation, the God-fearing generation before us leaves, we think to ourselves, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Is God going to still speak? Is God going to still lead? But what we find in Hebrews 13, 8 is this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, friends, that, that is the voice that we need. That is the consistent voice. Even when those voices that are trustworthy voices that love God aren't there for us anymore. And so now Isaac is moving forward in life without his dad. And more than ever, he needs the voice of God. And so how does this play out in his life? Well, it plays out in three ways. And here's how they play out. Isaac needed a greater voice in his life in, number one, the famine. Number two, the fear. And number three, the failure. The famine, the fear, the failure. And so let's look at number one, the famine. Look at verses one and two. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, a king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now what's happening here? Well, um, Robert Alter, who's a textual critic, who's, who's brilliant mind, he, he says this. He says, the writer signals at the outset that this story comes after and explicitly reenacts what happened before to Abraham. See, this, this story is already played out earlier in the life of Abraham. We see it in Genesis 12. You see, during that time, what we find out is that God was testing Abraham. And now he's testing his son, Isaac. See, verse 1 opens up telling us that there is a famine in the land. Now, if we were just reading through this text, for some of us, that, that might be something that we just kind of breeze over, skim over this detail. But I want to emphasize this because what this means is that Isaac and his family are in a very desperate situation. 
a very desperate situation. See, in many ways, this is the collapse of the economy. This is everything falling apart around them. This is that investment that is tanking. This is desperate. And this is a true test of whether or not Isaac would trust God or trust in himself. See, the temptation comes in the form of Egypt. And again, we've seen this in the life of his father, Abraham. See, Egypt, what did Egypt represent? Well, it represented a life of comfort and ease. And so in the midst of trial, what felt like the most practical solution? In the midst of the famine, Egypt looked really good. It looked really good. Again, Ian DeGid says, Isaac was faced with the same temptation to abandon the promise and go down to the abundant prosperity of Egypt just as his father did before. So again, this is like replaying in the mind of Isaac. I think this has happened before. And again, Egypt looks really good, but this time, will he abandon the promise that God has given? Right, because that thread that we see all throughout is this, is God trustworthy? Is God going to come through with the promise that he's given to Abraham? But then look at verse 2. Here's what it says. As he was processing, as he was thinking, as the text is showing that he's probably leaning towards Egypt, here's what happens. Verse 2. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. What happens here? Just as everything seemed like it was going in the direction of Egypt, like everything practically makes sense for Isaac to go to Egypt because that's where the comfort, that's where the ease is. Instead, God appears and says, stop. God graciously stops him. He tells Isaac to hold on to the promise and listen to his voice. He says, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. See, what, what happens? Here's the challenge for many of us. Many of the times, what, we, what, what we're going through, right? Like we go through those valleys, we go through those famines in life where we feel like everything just doesn't make sense around us. Everything is falling apart. And so what we do is we start to come up with the practical to-do list of here's what it should look like and here's what it's going to look like for me to get out of it. See, what we do instead of turning to God's voice is we start to turn to that little voice inside of our heads. Here's how I can work it out. Here's the solution I can come up with. And so instead of listening for God's voice, we listen to ourselves. See, Isaac needs God's voice to stop him. But God's voice doesn't match up with the practical wisdom of what makes sense. See, this is trust. This is faith. But it, 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 it follows the whole line of what we see throughout Scripture. Because you know what it says in Isaiah? Isaiah 55, 8 says this. Talk, God talking about himself, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, or your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. Again, leaning into our own practical wisdom or leaning into the wisdom of God. 
There will be situations that, again, do not make sense in your life. But when God speaks, says, trust me, well, we listen. See, it's even in the famine when Isaac's about to make a huge mistake and go to Egypt that God's voice breaks through, that God's voice comes in and speaks to him, stops him. So he needed God's voice in the famine. Number two, in the fear. Uh, Look at verses three and then in verses seven and eight. It says, um, in verse three, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men in the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Now what we see here is that Isaac listens to God. He stops, he stays, he settles in the land. But now he faces a new challenge, the fear in his own heart. The fear in his own heart. See, Isaac, what we find is that Isaac is a bundle of paradoxes like you and me. At one moment, we can can listen to God and have faith, and then the next moment, we can listen to the fear within our own hearts and trust in ourselves. At some level, this should be comforting to us, right? Because if we honestly look at our lives, it matches up very much like Isaac's. See, Derek Kidner points out this. He says, the repeated lapses emphasize, like Peter's three denials, the chronic weakness of God's chosen material. Typically human, Isaac mixes faith and fear. See, I want want us today, again, to take the biblical character that we see in Isaac off the pedestal. And say that there's only one hero throughout the Bible. And it's not these multiple Bible heroes, but it is one hero, and it is God himself. God's the hero. And we find that Isaac is a man who's struggling with fear after he just stayed trusting God in faith. And so... Instead of leaning into God's voice, Isaac is now trapped by the voice of irrational fear. Now, what is this fear? Well, look at verse 7. It says, when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah. There was a study done in 2013 that said that 84% of people hold on to irrational fear. Irrational fear. Right, like there was no indication that he should fear this. But he came up in his mind with this irrational fear. And what I think is the other 16% just weren't being honest. Right, because all of us can say that we struggle with irrational fears. On a daily basis, there, there are fears that just creep into our minds and our thoughts and our hearts. See, what was it that controlled Isaac so deeply that he had to lie It was his own fear. And that voice of fear in his heart is much louder than God's voice in his life. 
How does this happen? Well, Ed Welch, um, who's a counselor and, and wrote this book called When People Are Big and God is Small, says this. He says, number one, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. Two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. Three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. Listen to this. These three reasons have one big thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is, more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. And so what happens in the life of Isaac? This irrational fear creeps into his mind and he lies. See, what voice should have brought Isaac comfort in the midst of his fear? Well, it's all the way back in verse 3. God already said it. Here's what God said in verse 3. He says, I will be with you and will bless you. I will be with you and will bless you. See, what was the knowledge that should have overwhelmed the fear that lived in Isaac's heart? It was the reality that God was with him. That God is more powerful, stronger, able than the fears that surrounded him. See, he was putting more trust in the power of the people than he was in God. And so what we find here is that in his mind, the people were, more, were bigger than God. What should overwhelm our fear? It's knowing that God is with us. Uh, one of the things that within my three kids, you know, they're all different. They're all very different. And um, my youngest, she's five, and one of the things about her is that I don't know what it is, but she just gets fearful. She just gets, she's so afraid and timid at certain points where I, I ask her to do something and she just, she's, Dad, I can't do it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid right now. But the thing that helps her the most, right, whenever she has to go into scary situations, because sometimes it's just going into her classroom at school, right, like couple weeks ago it was raining and she's looking in her room room in her school and I'm like okay just go in there just run in there no dad I need you to come with me no really like there are people in there I'm not going to drop you off and just kind of send you in there with nobody in there like I know they're in there it's raining that's why everybody's inside no 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 dad I'm not going to go not going to do it and so it just simply took me holding her hand walking her in and then we open the door and everybody's in there but what she needed in that moment was to know that her dad was going to hold her hand and take her to where she needed to be. And what we see in the life of Isaac is that he, at this point, is still struggling with the reality of knowing that God is with him. And so instead of that, he is filled with fear. He let the fear control his decisions. And what happens at the end is that he is thinking more about protecting himself than protecting his wife. See, what this is, is the fear controlling him. Lastly, we see, number three, the failure. Look at verses 8 through 11. When he had been there a long time, 
Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I, I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech, Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, what's, what's the narrator telling us here? Well, there's two things in verse 8 that should really pop out to us. The first one is this. It says, when he had been there a long time. So what we find is that this man of God, Isaac, for a long time has been living a lie. He's been living a lie. And secondly, what we see is this. Because it, it doesn't really come out to us, you know, in the text. We're like, well, he was just laughing with her. Like, how did he know that that was his wife? Well, one way that it could be translated, and really the original from the Hebrew would be that he was like flirting with her. He was flirting with her. And, and, and the, the, the king saw this, and he's like, that's not right. Right? Like, there, there's something up here. That's not his sister. Like, it was very obvious flirting, right? Like, going on between the two. They're laughing, having a great time. And so now we see that his lie has been exposed. See, God used this king, which we don't even know if he knew God. We knew, like, we, we find out that, like, in his history, that God-fearing man, all of these things. But he uses someone who, who wasn't even the chosen one for the promise to call out Isaac. God exposed Isaac's failure in a very public way. Look, look at verse 9. He says, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac told, told him why. He says, because times does that, that thinking get us into trouble, right? Like, this is what I thought would happen. So this is what I did. And it just really got me in trouble. Right? He, he wasn't... He was thinking on his own ability and his own wisdom, not trusting in God's wisdom. This is what I thought, lest I die because of her. And this is like an emotional response we see in verse 10 from Abimelech. He said, what is it that you have done to us? Right, like what's the reality check for Isaac? It's that Isaac, all he was thinking about was himself, lest I die, lest I get put into a bad position. Abimelech is looking at him saying, what have you done to us? Right, like what is, what is the root of sin? Sin is all about me. What's the middle letter of sin? I. It's all about me. And so what we see here is that Abimelech is calling out Isaac in his sin and saying, what have you done to us? He's saying, because your sin could have cost your wife her life. Her life. You could have put her in great danger. 
But also, you could have put the people. He's like, my people. You could have put our people here, our group, in major trouble. See, what happens is he's thinking more about himself than he is about the repercussions of his sin and how it can help others. See, God is allowing Isaac to be really exposed in a public way to deal with the reality of his sin. There are consequences right to sin. And so more than anything, right, in the midst of this, what voice does Isaac need in the midst of his failure? He needs the voice of God's grace. You see, God knew. Here's the thing. God knew that Isaac would have probably gone to Egypt. He knew that Isaac was going to lie. And he knew that Isaac could have lived in that lie as long as he could without being exposed, without any problem with that. But what is the gospel of grace? It's that before he lived it out, before he did any of those things, God says, I promise that I'll be with you. I will promise to love you just as I loved your father Abraham. Now, what we need to ask is this. Did Isaac deserve that? No. Absolutely not. Do any of us deserve God's grace? No. Absolutely not. But what we find is that God is saying, I will promise to you that I will be with you. And what we find is that there is a grace that overwhelms the failures in our life. Brennan Manning says this. He says, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. Do you want to know what God's grace means? It means that he overwhelms all of the failures in our life. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That David could say that, that David could know that, is to know that he was a man who knew God's grace, God's love, despite his failings. See, that's what the voice that you and I need more than any other voice is to know that God will be with us even in our darkest moments, even when we're exposed, right? And he wasn't even willing to expose himself, but he was exposed by a king who we're not even sure was a believer. But God could use that. And so just some takeaways today, just some reflections that we can take away. The first one is this. What do you learn in the famine? What do you learn in the famine? I saw an interesting article recently by a man named Daniel Burke. It just came out this past week, and it's talking about comedian Pete Holmes. And here's what it says. It says, comedian Pete Holmes was a good Christian guy. When his wife left him, things got weird. Growing up, here's what it says. Growing up as an evangelical, Pete Holmes thought he was doing everything right. He believed in the Bible, all of it. He said he didn't smoke, drink, or have sex before marriage. He went on mission trips to Africa, played bass on the worship team, even wore pleated khakis. (laughs) Then one day, 
As Holmes was struggling to kickstart his comedy career, his wife left him for another man. His world and his belief in God exploded. Here's what he says. I left, I felt like the Lord hadn't held up his end of the bargain, Holmes writes in his new memoir. Now here's what we need to understand is this. What is the bargain that we think we have with God? Because if we think that we have a bargain with God that we're never going to go through famines, then that's not the God of the Bible. That's not Christianity. See, and what happens is we can be exposed by thinking that we're going to do everything right and work our way to God to get him in our debt instead of being in his debt. God never promised that we have a good life. But that we will have famines. And so what do the famines expose? It exposes what type of faith I really have. Is it real? Do do I really want God or do I want his stuff? Do I really want God or do do I just really want a good life where it's going to be good for me and perfect and it's all going to fall into place? See, what's the famine reveal? It reveals what my faith is really in. It reveals what my faith is really in because many times I found in my own life famines are meant to expose my weak faith. The areas where I'm just putting my faith in things that really weren't supposed to meant meant to carry my faith, but I was not putting them in Christ. See, the gospel fractures that are in my life, they're hidden deep down in there, are brought out during those famines. See, tests are meant to expose the areas where we're putting our faith in something other than Jesus. Something other than Jesus. Do you know those areas that we put our faith in other than Jesus are going to fall apart? They're not going to last. The only one that will stand is in Christ. And that's why I think Elizabeth Elliot famously said this, and I'll say it again and again. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. See, for a lot of us, we think that if I just wasn't in the famine, that I'd be good. That I'd be cool. Like, you know, that I'd be strong in my faith in God and everything would be great. But no, that's not it. No, the secret is this, that Christ is in me that Christ is with me and that he loves me even in those famine moments because the bargain was not that he would give me a good life or that nothing bad would happen to me or there wouldn't be hurt and pain along the way, but it's that he gave me his greatest gift of his son and that God would be with me even in through those dark moments, you see? And so what do, what do you learn in the famine? Number two, What do you do with your fears? What do you do with your fears? What are you afraid of right now? Right, like what are you afraid of? And and let's just ask, are those fears irrational fears? Are those fears legitimate or irrational? Are they something very much like Isaac is struggling with where he's just thinking, well, I just thought that it would be like this. And so I'm doing this. Do you know how many fear knots are in the Bible? There's over 300 plus. Some, some say there's 365 times. And I heard it said one time that there is one fear knot for every day of the year. You know that you and I need that. 
we need to know that there is a fear not again and again and again every day because we just go out into the world filled with fear. But what is it again that overwhelms our fear? It is knowing that he is with us, that God is with us and he loves us. See, Isaiah 41.10 is a fear not. He says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who's the hero? It's always God. It's always God. And so what do you do with your fears? Would you take them to God? And listen to him again. Say, fear not. Trust me. Lastly, where do you go when you fail? Where do you go when you fail? See, along this journey of just being a parent, I see time and time again where my my kids, they just struggle with that failure, feeling like a failure, especially now my nine-year-old, right? It's like there are times where he just, he just feels like terrible inside. I, I, my five-year-old, she said, Dad, I don't know what it is today, but I just don't feel like I'm a good person. Like, I, I just don't feel good. I feel kind of like a failure. Like, that's what she told me. She says, I'm just overwhelmed by this failure, fear of failure, failure right now in my heart. She's five. Right, like what, what, do you, what do you do with that? The biggest thing that I found as a father is that they come to the father. They come to me and they talk with me through it. I want to know those things. I want to hear those things. Right, but at the end of the day, it's this. As a father of my kids, I can't do anything to fix that. The only one I can do, the only thing I can do is point them to the one who can. It's God. Here's the gospel today. It's this. How could God have such grace to a man who on his own would have run, he lied, he failed, and this isn't the only time. It's going to be throughout his life, right? Time and time and time again. Like, how could God love failures like us? It's because this, the gospel is about God's promise to man, not man's promise to God. Do you hear that today? God's promise to man, not man's promise to God. You know what we do many times when we fail? We say this, God, I promise you I'm never going to do that again. And it's more about our voice than about God's voice. It's about my promises more than God's promises. And so we come to God, okay, God, I know it. I I messed up again. But God says, I made a promise. I made a promise. And so here's Genesis 26, 4. It says this, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what we need to understand. Who's the offspring? Who's the offspring? We see it all throughout the New Testament as the Apostle Paul talks about. He says the offspring, it's only one. You want to know where the greatest blessing is found? 
It's in Jesus Christ. The one who lived 2,000 years ago who, who didn't run when there was famine. Who didn't lie. Who didn't make it about himself. And he never failed. But yet he went all the way to the cross and the world thought he was the greatest failure. But yet he took on every single failure for you and me on the cross and said, I'll be seen as the failure so that you don't have to. And when he died, he took that and he buried it and three days later he rose from the dead. You want to know the voice that's going to overwhelm your fears, that's going to overwhelm those moments where you feel like a failure. It is knowing the voice of Jesus Christ. It's knowing that his voice is greater than your voice. It's knowing that his promise is greater than your promise. And then when you turn to Jesus, he says, you're my child. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything I've done. Will you receive him? Will you receive what Jesus has done? Today, again, this message Don't let this be for somebody else next to you. Let this be for you today because some of you are writing it off right now and you're saying, no way, I've just done too much. No way Jesus could forgive me. No, this is for you. This is the gospel and this is the message that when you look at the scriptures again and again, it'll give you thrills like no Avenger movie ever could. It will. It'll change your life. Will you let Jesus change your life today? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that all throughout Scripture, as we look at people that have lived life in the Bible, that at the end of the day, they all needed Jesus. They all did. And that today, as we stand as people who struggle, who have fears, who have doubts, who have failures, Lord, that we can come to you, bring all those things to you, and know that, Jesus, it is not our sufficiency that we can come to you, but it is the sufficiency of Jesus. It's Christ. It's what he's done. And so may we put our hope, our faith, everything into what you've done for us. And God, I just pray that we will hear your voice over those voices that just shout again and again about all the things that we've done and and all the things that, that try to keep us from you. It is your blood that brings us near. It is what Jesus has done. Help us to, to find hope in that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.